everyone, and welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and along with my co-host, Chris Kay, we discuss and dissect our favorite music, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, pop open a cold one, and let the debate begin. Welcome back to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host, Chris Kay. And each week, we discuss and dissect the hard rock and heavy metal bands that we all know and love. Each week, we'll also discuss some bands and albums you may not know that you should definitely be listening to, as well as giving you our big four on various bands, albums, musicians, etc. This week on episode 12, we'll be discussing legacy bands and are they nostalgia acts or relevant? Despite the current worldwide situation, bands are reuniting and touring more than ever. Some bands never left and continue to release albums. So is it all worth it? Well, we'll soon find out. Later in the episode, you wanted the best, you got the best. With this week's Big Four. And we've also got another What Should You Be Listening To? Before we begin, let's recap what we discussed last week on episode 10. Last week, we introduced a new ongoing topic called Album Cover Breakdown we pick a group and break down their album cover history. The first band we chose to break down was Metallica. We debated what we thought were the good and bad about their album covers and chose which we thought is the best of them all. If you missed last week's episode or any of the previous ones, be sure to stream or download all of our episodes from your favorite podcast platforms. And don't forget to rate us or leave us a review. Chris, what was our big four last week? Last week, we picked our Big Four concept albums. If you want to check out our list, find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Let us know what you think of our picks, and if you think you can do better, please give us some feedback. We're always open for more debate. Yes, love the debate. Let's start things off this week with what should you be listening to? Kenneth, how about you start us off? All right, well, this week, I'm actually prepared. <laughs> that's, actually, that's a new one <laughs> i've actually did something i actually did a little bit of research very little but he, he always comes in every week with everything else prepared except for this <laughs> segment and i don't know why but I'm, I'm bad about it but this week i did well so this week's what should you be listening to for me is lamb of god's new album lamb of god self-titled it has the single memento mori which is on video and youtube and all those uh, streaming channels that you can check it out. It's really cool. I like it a lot. The album's going to be released May 8th, uh, and hopefully it comes out as scheduled uh, with, the, with the whole pandemic thing going on worldwide. Some things have been pushed back. Some things have are, are coming out. You were mentioning Testament is still coming out tomorrow. From what I understand, it's still on schedule to be released tomorrow. Cool, because I get to listen to it. Chuck Billy's come out and made some uh, comments regarding what he thinks national touring is going to be like after this I read, I read that today yeah yeah it, i mean it just seems like all these bands just really want to get back to normal oh yeah and i mean it's it's their livelihood we want it's them to they, get back to normal so we can go see them oh i know i'm <laughs> i'm so bummed and, and uh, obviously first things first you know everybody's got to be safe and get well and that's get right. past this whole thing that's going on but it just, yeah, it, it breaks my heart to not be able to go see some of these bands. <laughs> yeah, for sure, definitely. Well, so again, it comes out May 8th, so hopefully it will come out on schedule. It is the first album to feature new drummer, Art Cruz, who replaces founding member Chris Adler. What happened to Chris Adler? Oh, he left. He uh, he quit the band. He, oh, okay. he got into a, he got actually, in, uh, if I'm not mistaken, got into a motorcycle accident. 
and had some shoulder problems and he rehabbed it and rehabbed it. And then in the middle of it, he, uh, they asked him if he was going to come back to do one of the tours late last year. And he said, no, I'm not going to be coming back. And they basically split ways. Oh, okay. So kind of tough, but Chris Adler, you know, with his brother in the band, it was, it was something that, you know, it was a little bit of a family affair. Yeah. But I heard the song, you know, Memento Mori is a really cool song for Lamb of God. So I mean, it was actually understandable. I'll have <laughs> to me. give it a listen. I mean, it's not, it, it's a uh, metal core, but for me, it was understandable, you know, and it wasn't as, Randy's always had this way of being a little punky with the way he sings his vocals and, yeah. and enunciates the words. Metalcore, I mean, sorry, metalcore. Uh, Lamb of God's one of the metalcore bands that I've always been able to kind of listen to. Not one of my favorites, but still, I, yeah. I can tolerate them. If they come on, I don't skip a song. Okay, cool. Well, don't skip this one. This is pretty cool. I'll check it out. So, All right, what do you got? All right, so this is kind of a cool one. Uh, Relapse Records has introduced a new series of uh, of releases. Basically, they're called the Non-Analog Onstage Series they're doing this this thing for death, which, as you probably know if you've listened to any of these podcasts before, they're pro- one of my favorite, if not my favorite band. Unfortunately, Chuck has passed away early uh, 2001, and unfortunately, you, you just can't see him live anymore. So no, this yeah. is a really cool experience to get to hear the live shows. What's awesome about the, the recording of them is they're very immersive. You feel like you're in the crowd. I mean, the crowd is kind of overwhelming a little bit. The mm-hmm. mixing is, you know, not so pro that it's just... So you know, are, they, are they bootleg sounding? A little bit bootleg, <clears throat> bootleg sounding, yeah. And it's it's just nothing but positivity coming from all the reviews that I'm seeing. That's cool. Which, you know, I've, I've listened to the newest one that came out, the, the first one, Montreal. And I got to say, I it's not the best live album i've ever heard but it was such a cool experience to get to to hear them oh you know? yeah yeah for sure and I mean, you, especially since you had I mean, they, they never released a live record did they no they had a couple they had a couple uh, there's there's two official releases and then there's some other stuff that's been around floating around honestly i i like this better than the official releases that oh. have come out before so this is this is a really cool experience check it out they're going to continue releasing more of these in a series. It's like so, every other week from this past week. Yeah. yeah so that's going to be pretty cool. So it's a really nice tribute to a great band, a, a great musician in Chuck Schuldiner. It's just a new experience to bring back live recordings. Cool. Very cool. All right. This week's main topic. It's kind of a, a weird long title. We're going to be talking mostly about legacy bands. And when we, what we mean by legacy bands is bands have been around for a while, not modern bands. Although one of the bands that we are going to mention is Slipknot. Some people may call that a, a modern band, but they've been around now for 20 years. So it's, yeah. it's amazing to think. But mostly 70s and 80s. Yeah, bands. I mean, mostly these are going to be some 70s bands, some 80s bands, and maybe... Yeah, primarily 80s bands. Yeah, primarily the 80s. And by legacy bands, what we're talking about is the topic is basically... These legacy bands are some of them are releasing new music. Is the new music worth it? And is and they're touring behind the new music. So, is the show a nostalgia act or is it a relevant concert? You know, is it is it something you're seeing because there's the new music is out and it's just as good, or is it you're going because you're basing it off the fact that their first album was you know a million seller? So, 
based on that information, let's go ahead and debate this. Let's see what we got here. I mean, I'm going to start off with the one where I consider the most controversial. And I've had this conversation with other people, Guns N' Roses. I think that they are a nostalgia act. I mean, I think by default they're a nostalgia act because they haven't released anything new in years. Uh, well, I mean, it's 12 years. 2000, 2008 was Chinese democracy. And the only member of Guns N' Roses that was still around was Axl Rose. Right. And the, and by that, I mean the member of... I mean, because if you look at the album case, there's like 40,000 members. and Because <laughs> yeah, it took so long to record the album. Yeah. There was people in and out of the band all the time. The, actually, not true. Dizzy Reed was... Yeah, he's been a faithful since... Been, uh, yeah, so he was there on... He was on Use Your Illusions. Yeah. So him and Axel were the only two guys that were on the record. Not my favorite record by any means. You don't have much positive to say about it. I, I in, don't. I don't like the conversations. Album. I yeah. mean, I, I actually like the songs better, you know, that have been played in concert by Slash than I do the actual recordings. I mentioned it earlier this morning when we, we were kind of preparing for this. The album to me sounds like Axel purposely got certain guitar players to play a million notes a mile a minute because they were, he wanted to show off that you know he could get a better guitar player than Slash. Problem is, what he failed to do was be able to get the same heart and soul that Slash can put into a song that those guys couldn't. Well, there's not a lot of guitar players that are going to be able to do the same thing Slash does. And I don't mean Slash is like the greatest guitar player of all time. He, he is a, one of them, for sure. He has something that other players don't have when he does what he does mm-hmm. and that's he puts his soul into that music oh yeah they, they weren't going to mimic it but I, I just always wish that this was released chinese democracy i always wish was released as a solo album for axel rose hey, that's what it should have been it's, that's really what it is because it's it's too poppy to be guns and roses to me yeah, i mean it's, it's 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 got like you know a lot of Electronic sound exactly, and and that was what he was trying to go for because he was trying to push the band in that direction when they did that song for um, uh, Schwarzenegger movie. I can't remember what it was. To to get back to the main topic, the, I I pick Guns N' Roses first because they're the most controversial. They are the ones who basically have gotten back together on this not in this lifetime tour that's lasted now going on four years. You could be mine. No, it wasn't that one. Was but it was featured on Terminator Two Judgment no, Day. No, that it's it wasn't the Terminator ones. It was after. I was that. gonna say you could be mine's a good song. No, no, <laughs> it was it was after Usual Illusions came out. Was, I believe it was after Spaghetti Incident came out. It was one song on the end of a of a soundtrack. Guns and Roses is basically living off their legacy. A conversation we had several weeks ago. They're, they're living off of Appetite for Destruction because if Usual Illusions had been their first album, it probably wouldn't have gone anywhere near as what. Appetite is done. Still good albums, but they, it wouldn't have sold 18 million copies, you know, like Appetite did. They're li- so they're living off Appetite. They play like eight, you know, anywhere from, from six to ten songs off of Appetite. And then, you know, they play, because they're doing about 25 songs a show. They're doing ten songs or so from The Usual Illusions and then a ton of covers. And then like two or three songs from Chinese Democracy. They're not touring because of Chinese democracy. They're touring because they're Guns N' Roses because they have Appetite for Destruction. Unlike some of the other bands that we're going to discuss, I consider them a nostalgia act. But the argument that I've been having with other people is that other bands that I think are not nostalgia acts, they're saying their their defense is they are nostalgia acts. 
Gotcha. So, what what do you think? As far as Guns and Roses, mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely a nostalgia act. I, I mean, they, I just feel that if you haven't put out new music in twelve years and you're touring mostly the songs that were on the first album and second album, you know, right? You're not you're not fresh and relevant. I mean, you're, you're they're 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 basically touring off of an album that is. 33 years old or something like that yeah we looked at their set list and there were there were like three songs off of chinese democracy most of it was most off, would be three songs yeah most of it was off of appetite for destruction mm-hmm. there was songs off of user illusion and then a bunch of covers oh yeah they're playing a lot of covers they've always played covers i mean live and let die is a big cover for them yeah but Knocked i didn't on see that door. on that that was on there oh it was yeah okay they played but that there was there was other stuff that wasn't no, they, they played the Seeker recorded. from The Who. They played yeah. that a lot. They played a bunch of Who stuff. They they played... ACDC. I mean, they played ACDC. They picked up I think that's because that. he did his stint with ACDC. Mm-hmm. Oh, he had done he had done other songs in the past. Like, I've got a recording of them doing a whole lot of Rosie from mm-hmm. 87. But now they're doing ACDC because of, of his stint in ACDC. Yeah, and then they um, did Slither. And they're doing Slither, yeah. which is pretty cool. It would be cool if they did Fall to Pieces. From from the Slithers uh, first album, Slithers from Velvet Revolver's <laughs> first album, because that's a really cool song, and that was actually um, Slash gave that music to Axel, and he turned it down. Yeah. So I'm wondering if he would be open to it to playing that song live. He seems to be a lot more open to stuff, open mm-hmm. than he used to be. A lot less, a more a little more of a professional. A lot more. I mean, they yeah. were what they were showing up on stage on time. Yeah. <laughs> So speaking of another nostalgia act, and this is definitely a nostalgia act, ACDC. Even though, even though every five to six to eight years <laughs> they're releasing a new album, and the last album they put out was in 2014, so six years ago, and rumor has it they're coming out with a new album this year. Even though they're coming out with new music, they're not touring because of the new music. They're no, touring they're, because of their legacy. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. raise your hand if you went to go see it because of play ball. <laughs> Wait, ooh, ooh, no. I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I actually didn't go to see the show at all. Um, yeah. I, I I saw them. I think the last time I saw them was on the Ball Breaker tour, and that's a long time ago. People are going to see them because of of uh, the cannons firing. Back in black. Back in black. You shook me all yeah. night long. Yeah, they're going to go see. Thunder Thunderstruck would be mo- like the most relevant song that they have. Highway to Hell. You know, mm-hmm. songs off of those. But yeah, Thunderstruck would probably be the newest song. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that was what ninety two. Yeah, 92. Yeah. Thunderstruck's 92 and uh, Ball Breaker, you know, it was like 95. It's been a while since they've had really good songs. I mean, Black Ice was a good album for them. It came out in 2008. It, and it went, I think, like double platinum in the US, which is amazing. And that was just strictly Walmart sales. That album That's only true, came out yeah. in Walmart. It, they, but diehard fans are going to go, you they're know, gonna buy they're the going to buy the, the, the albums, but... Are you giving it like multiple turns, just like the old albums? Yeah, you know, who knows? I mean, it, it's not a terrible album, mm-hmm. you know, but it's not Back in Black. It's not Highway yeah. to Hell. So ACDC definitely living off their legacy, but you know what? That's not a big deal. I don't care. I don't care about Guns N' Roses living off their legacy. It's a great show. I went to see it. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you know, you still want to go see these bands. That's that's not the point. Is is it? Yeah, you I'm know, not knocking that. This is not the same conversation as we had a few episodes back where we talked about bands living off their oh, yeah. legacy. This is this is uh, you know, 
are they are they nostalgia acts? Are they just playing the old songs? Is that why you're going? Right. Now, yeah. here's one uh, that we can get through quickly. Def Leppard, okay? They I read an interview with Joe Elliott recently where he doesn't consider himself a nostalgia act because they are releasing new music. What I find funny, I don't know what their set list is like. I haven't heard their set list, but they have been constantly touring. Every year, they're always on tour. They're doing some sort of big tour. Last year, it was Journey. Before that, it was you know Cheap Trick or something like that, and Poison. Yeah, but before this last album, what was the, the last release before that? I, I mean, can't it, it wasn't I, it? I can't remember. It was a long time before that, wasn't it? It may have been, but uh, it may have been seven years, eight years. But, you know, seven, eight years now, almost decades goes by, and, and, and it's almost like a, you know blinking an eye. Yeah, it was seven years from songs from the Sparkle Lounge to Def Leppard. Right. That's such a a big difference in mm-hmm. time. I I have a hard time considering Def Leppard a, a relevant act. I mean, I mean, they toured with Journey, so to me, it was it was that was a nostalgia. Act. Yeah, I, Journey's I believe, nostalgia as well. I right. Mean, I believe that Def Leppard is a nostalgia act. Joe Elliott doesn't. But I think I think the reason why he doesn't is because he thinks that they consider themselves relevant is because they continue to tour. They're always in the in the in the public eye. It's not like they're irrelevant, but but as far as putting out new music that somebody goes, I really want to go see them play. Let's go. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> right. I mean, I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna be wanting to see stuff off of hysteria. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know th- that era of, of music because they know those songs. Now, now, from what I understand too, they released a uh, live. I think it was the Viva Hysteria when they were playing Las Vegas, or it may have been one of the Las Vegas stuff. They opened up the show as a warm up act under a different name, but it was them, and all they did was play stuff off of On Through the Night and High and Dry. So they played, they were basically like themselves as a cover band? Yeah, like themselves as a cover and band. And they played old music and then they played only new music when they... And so everything was from Pyromania on for the rest of, you know, for the, for the main show. Hmm. It was pretty cool. I mean, they did some really good jobs. I mean, they played a lot of stuff off of High and Dry. I think they played did like they half the Did they sound like the old guys? <laughs> 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 they sound like old guys, that's for sure. But... I mean, I heard the song like when they. I, I specifically went looked for "Let It Go," mm-hmm. which is my favorite Def Leppard song. It's a great song. Off I love of that the song. Frozen soundtrack. Not that one. <laughs> Def Leppard did not do Frozen. They but wouldn't it have been better if they that, did? It would have been much cooler. <laughs> <laughs> my girls probably wouldn't have gotten into it though. So yeah, this, uh, I specifically looked for that version of the song, and it's really cool. It sounds good. What was even stranger was that the next day I'm listening to the radio and they played a live Def Leppard version, a song, and it was the same song. Mm. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So Def Leppard don't consider themselves a nostalgia act, yet I would say they are. I would say most people go see them because they're a nostalgia act. I wonder what the difference, though, from U.S. to U.K. is regarding their their popularity. Like as far as their their relevance in that regard, you know, like mm-hmm. does do the UK fans still consider them more of a current act than than we would here? I don't know. I think they they've always been more popular in the US. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, like Pyromania was big here. They went back home and it was like, yeah, okay, who are you? 
<laughs> I mean, it wasn't until Hysteria that they really, you know, late or almost the end of the end of Pyromania that they broke that that was anything, you know, they weren't gotcha. popular whatsoever. So another English band, uh, <laughs> nice transition. Another English band that is definitely it was like a whiplash transition. <laughs> <laughs> another uh, nostalgia act to me, Deep Purple. But yet they keep releasing album after album after. I mean, well, Deep Purple's a tough one too because there, there's so many different variations of the band. Like, and this he, one's been together. You know, other than the fact that John Lord passed away and, and Don Aries in the band, this version has been together since the the, the middle '90s. Yeah, and that, which it, which is true, but they didn't put out their best albums. No, during right. that time, you know, right. so since the reformation of mm-hmm. that that uh, Mark II, right. But there are people that will have the nostalgia for the Smoke on the Mark Water. III era. Oh, with, Mark III? With, yeah, oh, with okay. Byrne and you know, uh, White Snake. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Coverdale. David Coverdale. Jeez. Glenn Hughes and David Coverdale. Yeah, that era of the band, but obviously you're not going to ever hear that. No. You know, they refused when they went into the Rock and, Hole, no, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. No, it was Richie that they refused to deal with. No. Uh, Ian Gillen refused to... Have oh. uh, David Coverdale come and sing a song. Oh yeah, yeah. He they were there, but they didn't. They, were there. they didn't hang out. Yeah. So yeah. you're not going to hear that version again. But obviously, the they didn't put out their best album. Like the Machine Head album came before. Mm-hmm. You know their reformation, and yeah, I think in a, in one regard they're still relevant because they're still consistently releasing albums and touring that music. But I think most fans are not going to hear the new songs they're they're still going to see the old classics yeah i think so and it, it's just weird i mean i haven't i've never seen deep purple live in concert mm-hmm. so i can't sit there and say yeah i looked at some of the set lists i mean they're playing a variety of songs not a lot a of huge catalog yeah, to, to go over it, and it's hard because they keep with each album they keep releasing it's not like they're playing five six seven songs from the album even when they're, when they're touring it's just like one or two maybe you know, and then even then, there's some albums that they are completely negating. You know, all, a lot of their '90s and 2000s stuff. Yeah, but you they're know. still consistently playing the old songs. Right, they're still consistently and there's, playing. There's the old classics that they're never going to drop from their set list. Right, that one to me is definitely a nostalgia act. So let's talk about one that I would cons- or, or actually a group of bands. This is um, something that's going to lead into the other the other main band that we're going to talk about, but. Think about bands like Anthrax, Testament, Overkill, Exodus, even Megadeth to some degree. All those bands, all that came out of the thrash scene in the 80s, are still putting albums out today. The albums are very good albums. So are those bands nostalgia acts playing off of their history? Or are they actually relevant bands nowadays? I don't think so. And uh, I'm going to say why... Let's. Uh, I mean, let's start with Anthrax. Mm-hmm. I don't think so because Anthrax doesn't play anything from the John Bush era. That a lot of the stuff they do play, yes, is from their biggest album, which is uh, Among the Living. Among the Living. Well, but they're mm-hmm. still playing a lot of stuff off of their new uh, new two albums. Yes. Now, Anthrax to me, out of out of everybody I just mentioned, all the thrash bands are the most polarizing because they are almost like fifty fifty. It's yeah. like they play. The whole Among the Living, <laughs> and then like some new songs, yeah. or they play a lot of old songs, which is almost all of Among the Living, because yeah. they, they completely ignore uh, any song off of State of Euphoria, mm-hmm. okay, except for Antisocial, which is not their song. 
So they play like one or two songs of Spreading Disease, one song off of Fistful of Metal, one song off of Persistence of Time, which is a cover song, you know, talking about the time. time. So it's almost like nothing exists other than Among the Living and maybe Spreading the Disease. And then there's new stuff, you know, the stuff off of Worship and, and For All Kings, yeah. Worship Music and For All Kings. So I like Worship Music. I mean, it's a great album. Definitely a return to form, even though they, they were still playing some thrash. I mean, when they were with John Bush, they were doing more grungy metal stuff. Yeah, it was, you know, it was although, a little bit of a departure. I uh, wish you were here. I wish you were here. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> what was that one called? Um, you just completely threw me off. We, we, we've come for you all. Yeah. That album was it was a real good... It, there was a lot of thrash elements in there. But there was, we come. <laughs> we come for you all. Um, there was a lot of thrash elements in that one. But Worship Music definitely was was a good album. And For All Kings, very good album. Yeah, I I mean, actually, a lot of people say For All Kings is better. I like Worship Music better, personally. They're, they're different than what they were doing before yeah. when, Before John Bush was in the band, when Joey left the band. I mean, they're they're heavier. And his voice is more mature. It's deeper. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just when I, when those two albums came out, I'd never been a huge Anthrax fan, but these two albums are are very good. I can see them, you know, more living off of the now mm-hmm. than than a lot of the old stuff. Except for obviously Among the Living, it's right. just too big of a hit to ignore. Now, like I said, they're the most polarizing because they could be a they could be a nostalgic band if they wanted to. But you know bands like Overkill and Testament. Overkill has released Overkill a has new a, album one to three years. Yeah, since their inception. Yeah, they they to me are the most relevant of the, all the thrash bands because they continue to put out. A, a, I mean, there's nothing that they have changed about their formula since Horoscope or even before that. You know, since since taking over. I mean, it's always been straight up thrash. Boom. Yeah. I mean, there's been some weaker albums and some stronger albums. But, but when we saw them, they played stuff off of like every album. Everything. Yeah. I mean, they they they're they're very. I don't want to say proud of what they do, but they're they're very confident in in what they put out, mm-hmm. and and that shows when they're they're putting out songs or they're playing songs from all over their existence. All yeah. Throughout no, the show. I mean, they played one song off of the first album, "A Feel the Fire," which was, I believe, the song "Feel the Fire." I think there was uh, one or two songs off of Taking Over, but everything after that, it was you know, one song off of every album. You know, they played a couple of, uh, like two or three new songs yeah. off the last few albums. I mean, they've done at least one or two good songs off of every album to be able to continue to play those songs. And so they, they're very full. Right? Yeah. I mean, they, they released last, it was a couple of years ago. After the Grinding Wheel tour, they actually toured on the anniversary of Horoscope, and they played the whole Horoscope album live in concert. But I don't, I don't necessarily like when they have the anniversaries of albums mm-hmm. and they play the whole album. I don't really view that as like a, you know, living off the old stuff. No. That's if that's the anniversary. You're that's celebrating. A, you're, you're celebrating. No, that's for so sure. I don't, but, and that's yeah. not even. If they did that every year, like the the thirteen year anniversary, the fourteen year anniversary, I'd be like, okay, and these that's, people need to get. And that's why Anthrax is so polarizing because they did that <laughs> shit twice <laughs> with Among the Living. No, the Horoscope album came out in ninety one, so it was just a, it was like a fifteen or twenty or twenty five year anniversary. That's all it was. Yeah, it wasn't that big of a deal. 
it was it was pretty cool. And they released a live album, but they mind you, it wasn't just that. Not the only thing that they played, they played other songs. So it was it was still good, but and they did killer versions of those songs that were on Horoscope. Yeah. So I think you know Overkill definitely a relevant band, just as relevant today as they were back then. Testament, they, as we mentioned earlier, got a new album coming out tomorrow. But I think Testament's kind of different though than than the other ones you were mentioning. I would say Megadeth falls more in line of the ones you're mentioning because they've still been consistently releasing albums pretty much nonstop since the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Testament Tes- had a break. Testament had a break in the middle. I mean, they took time off from 1999. What was it, 2008? Yeah, and I think, two- that, I think that was more uh, financial and business problems. It was, but it was also some reformation of the band mm-hmm. in, a, in a way. I mean, Alex Skolnick was gone for quite a while, and then he comes back. They reformed the band to what kind of what it was before. Yeah. And ever since formation of Damnation, they've had a pretty consistent lineup. They've had, I think, two major lineup changes. The bass and the drums have changed. No, I, I think when they did formation of Damnation, the drummer um, did not come back. Christian, whatever, something Christian, he did not come back. So they had a different drummer. So they've had drummer changes. Yeah, well, but Gene Hoagland's been on most of them. Gene Hoagland's been on uh, Dark, Dark Roots of the Earth and, and Brotherhood of the Snake, and the new one is coming out. Uh, there it, was a different drummer. I can't remember. It may have that's been what John- I'm saying. Right. I'm not saying it was the original lineup. Oh, okay. I'm saying they've had a consistent lineup yeah. since that point. And the only changes that I'm aware of uh, are the the bass and the drum. Right, yeah. And those, those are guys that have worked together forever. I mean... And- yeah, and then, and the funny thing is, the guys that they got back were people that were already in the band previously. Yeah, you know, so so you, so you've got guys that that what why I think they're not a nostalgia act, even though they took that break and they do play old songs, is they play a lot of songs off their new releases because they they, they actually tour yeah. off the new release. Yeah, and th- that's that's a big factor too. That's they're a huge they're factor. touring for the album, right? You know, you go and see them live, and they've got a backdrop of that new album and they're pushing that new album and every time I've seen them which I've seen them twice I think since they reformed not they never broke up but you know the, right. since the, the formation of Damnation mm-hmm. lineup I've seen them twice they, they've always played several songs off of the new release oh yeah they also have a group together that writes together and they they function together, and they they they're more there's more cohesion from this time period yeah, than, than any other one. time period. Right. Yeah. Oh, they're they're to me they are you know testament are definitely relevant. Overkill <laughs> definitely relevant. Megadeth definitely relevant. Mm-hmm. Megadeth to me their problem is is has been do they want to be a, a pop metal band or do they want to be a thrash band? And they've gone back and forth. But it, yeah. I mean, even, you know? even with super collider, it was, right, it was more poppy. Right. But it, I mean, it was still a metal album, I mean, but it was, it right. was pop metal. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Dystopia. Awesome album. I, if they would just continue in that vein, it would be so great. Yeah. You know, and having Kiko there, man. Uh, yeah. I, I was so excited. It was funny. Cause it like when I, when we went to see them, um, oh, I didn't go with you, but we went to the we same show. We were at show. the same show, by chance. <laughs> um, by chance, yeah. When I went to see them, what was so interesting was I thought, because I had listened to Angra forever, mm-hmm. you know, I, I thought Kiko was playing a lot of those solos. It was Dave. And he can still shred like crazy. Oh, you know, Dave is, you know, I, I'm never going to take anything away from Dave as far as being a player, lyricist, and musician. My whole thing with Dave has always been his personality and how he treats other people that's what but have been you my... seen his tiny horse 
<laughs> I did not see the video. I, re- I heard about it. I haven't seen the video yet. It's so freaking cute. It's it, Dave walking around. Is with it a, a Shetland pony type? Yeah, yeah. it's like, a, like one of those miniature horses, and he's got this little tiny dog running around with him. See, he does things like that that make him seem human. Then he comes out and says something. He's like, oh, you're back to being an asshole. You know, it's like, come on, man. You know, just be nice. But I like Dave. I know you do. I don't. I don't hate Dave. It's just he frust- I relate to him. He frustrates me. <laughs> <laughs> so again, like I said, Anthrax polarizing. The rest of the, the thrash metal scene is still putting out. I, I mentioned Exodus. They're still putting out records, even though it's been now six years. But supposedly they have a new album coming out. Talking about all those bands. Some of the bigger '80s bands that that were are are still around. One of them being Judas Priest, and I know Judas Priest is one of your favorite bands. Yeah. In the in the 2010s, if you want to put it that way, they released two albums: Redeemer of Souls and Firepower. Now, coming off of Nostradamus, Redeemer of Souls is like so great in comparison to that. But then you realize Redeemer of Souls was just the beginning because they got better. Firepower is an amazing album. Well, I I mean, I'm of a different mindset yeah, yeah. where I, I really like Nostradamus because it, it to me it's an art piece and that's that's what it was meant to be. It was meant to be something different. They were in a, a different mindset then and they wanted to do something that they just didn't really care who liked it and who didn't like it. It was pretty polarizing. So, so, sounds like Lulu. Yeah, in in a lot of regard, it is. Except for it doesn't have horrible. Um, yeah, well, yeah. I can't I can't speak for for Lou Reed. <laughs> the band played well. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I'm not a fan of Nostradamus. Yeah, but it's not. It's definitely not the typical release Judas from Judas Priest. No. I mean, it, you you're following up. Um, was it Angel of Retribution? Was the last one before that? I believe so. Yeah. No, that was it. So you're following up Angel of Retribution. Which, which is basically a, a carryover of pain, from Painkiller, pain yeah. Which is a large, you know, gap of time, fifteen years between those albums. You had Jugulator and you had uh, De- Demolition. Demolition. So you had those two albums in between. So the band was still working on stuff together. Mm-hmm. But but for Rob, I mean, that was a pretty big gap of time. But they're still putting out new stuff. And with Nostradamus, even if you didn't like it, it's still the band doing what they do and trying to be relevant. Right. You know, and then you've got the band almost collapses. They're gonna they announce their retirement. They were they were doing one last tour, and then Richie Faulkner comes into the fold. Well, because KK because KK. I mean, now now we've we've you know we've learned that there was friction between KK and Glenn, which mm-hmm. led to the tour being the epitaph tour being the end and then they decided no we want to do one more tour kk bows out and richie just breathes new life into the band yeah you know very similar to how the kiss finale the farewell tour that they did in the in the early 2000s that's the same thing paul and gene got tired of ace and peter and they wanted to call it quits, but then Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer breathed new life into the band, and they said, "Screw this, we're going to continue on." Yeah, you know. Speaking of Judas Priest, yes. So, so Richie Faulkner definitely breathes new life into that band. They said, "You know what? Well, let's go make a new record." Redeemer Souls is the result of that. Not a, gr- I mean, it's not an awesome album, but they got some good songs. There's in some it. great songs on there. Right. I, I, I'm not a big fan of the album as a whole because. I, I don't like the lyrical content all that much. Mm-hmm. It's kind of juvenile in a lot of ways, which is for a band as, as aged 
as Judas Priest, it just seems kind of silly to be singing it like almost like preteens. You mean like parental guidance? Like on that, turbo? that kind of level, <laughs> yeah. And so, um, but even more so because parental guidance was what nineteen eighty seven. Yeah, eighty seven. <laughs> and so now this is two thousand. It's a. Uh, 25 years later? Something yeah. Like that. No, uh, 2014. So. 2014. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a big difference in time, too. So, uh, yeah. 27 years later. I didn't like that, but the actual song, I remember when I heard the single, Redeemer of Souls, I, I listened to it for like two weeks straight, going to and from work, because I worked five minutes from mm-hmm. from home at that point, but you know, I, could, I could only load up one song. <laughs> but but Redeemer of Souls was was great now, coming off of Nostradamus it was like damn this is some good music yeah. you know and then two years ago they released Firepower that album I liked it more is yeah. much better but still I mean it, it was it was just a great album I mean it, to me it had a lot of elements you know going all the way back to Defenders of the Faith and Screaming for Vengeance a couple of things here touching from British Steel and, and Point of Entry so that era it, it, it had a lot of elements from that era which is their heyday you know so that was really cool the album's awesome. I, production, uh, you know, the the 2000 production to me is not the best thing in the world. I, I still have issues with it, but it was a good album. Well, but that being said, going to see the, the, the show because of those songs, or are you going to see the show because you want to see the big major hits that Judas Priest has put out over the years? I'm going to see Judas Priest as a whole. I yeah. want to see priests for whatever they play. Yeah, you know because they're still playing. You know, that's a cop out answer right there. Yeah, it, well, <laughs> to me, to me, because I consider them relevant. I mm-hmm. mean, I I wanted to hear some. I mean, they opened the show with Firepower, a great song. Yeah, they played three or four songs off of Firepower. They were promoting that out. Well, then yeah, then so, you're so, saying that. They're, so they're, they're going out to tour because of an album. Mm-hmm. They're not touring because oh, we're Judas Priest and we're going to go ahead and tour and people are going to come see us because we're Judas Priest. See, and that's <clears throat> that's what I agree with is that even though there's probably a majority of the fans going specifically to see the old songs, they're, they are touring the new albums. So so here, here's how I, I put this. When Queensryche fired Jeff Tate and they, they, they started touring as Queensryche with Je- Otalatory and then Jeff was still doing Queensryche as himself before they came up with the final decision in 2014. Both bands came to Houston within a month of each other. And they both played the same exact place, which was this little tiny shed in the middle of a a strip center in the middle of North Houston. I mean, maybe a couple hundred in each place, right? I went to see Queensryche when they came back around because they were coming almost two times a year, like maybe nine months apart trying to push the fact that they no longer were a Jeff Tate Queensryche. They were Queensryche with Latolatory. I mean, they've been here almost every year since 2014. They came and played a place called the Arena Theater here in Houston that I think the max capacity is 1,000 people. They had this place cut in half. And it was a full, it's a full circle in the round place. And they cut it in half, and they did not sell out. I ended up talking with the promoter after the show because the friend I went with was happened to be friends with all these people. He used to be in the business. He was a security guard. So he knows all these people. We were talking to the guy who actually put the show together. He said to me, I'm trying to get Judas Priest to play here, here in, in the arena theater, but they won't do it. They won't take my guarantee because they failed. They're a bigger band. 
Okay, they're still at that point. They were not on the Nostradamus. Uh, they were not on the Redeemer Souls tour. I think Redeemer Souls were coming out the next year or that year. So they w- they would prefer to have played House of Blues type place. Mm-hmm. Okay, and even then, Judas Priest, I don't think even played the House of Blues type venues. They played amphitheaters or would prefer to play amphitheaters. My guy, you know, in Houston, which is a big metal town for the most part, compared to Miami where I used to live, it's just not a metal town. Priest couldn't even get a gig to play the arena theater for 500 to 1,000 people. And they wanted to play more. So now they play fire. They bring out fire, you know, Redeemer Souls, and they play a bigger venue. And then they come out with Firepower, and they play the Sugarland. Uh, what it was, the Smart Financial uh, Center yeah. in Sugarland. That's probably about four thousand people, I think, four or five thousand people. So they're playing a smaller venue, but they're playing a bigger venue than they would have played a few years ago. So to me, that tells you people are buying the the album. People are realizing that they're still relevant. Yeah, no, you I know? agree. So to 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 me, that that shows you they're pushing these albums. They they want. They, they, they want to be out there in the public eye. But they have to put out good music. Because if they put out shitty music, no one's going to go see them. Regardless of whether they're nostalgic or not. You know, they'll be playing the House of Blues or they'll be playing an arena theater type place if they are living off their legacy. Oh, yeah. So playing the Smart Financial Center it was not a bad deal. I mean, it's bigger than the House of Blues. And, it, and it's got seats and it's got, you know, it's, you know, it's reserved seating. And it was a great place. I mean, they have a huge stage. Full production. You could tell that by having better albums or good albums along the way, Judas Priest made themselves relevant again. So that was good to see. Yeah. I, I mean, absolutely. I think a lot of people were kind of, and le- I would say lesser fans, didn't even realize they were still going through with things because right. they said they were retiring. Right, exactly. So to, c- to come back and put out such a, such a hard-hitting album was... You know, good turn for them, and, oh, and for definitely sure. makes them more relevant. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Now, so why don't we mention Queensrÿche since you brought them up? Queensrÿche. Now, they are to me definitely a relevant band. They are definitely not living off their legacy, and the reason being is because they have toured so hard and so constantly, and have played new songs so much. I mean, it's a fifty-fifty split between new songs within the last six years because they put out three albums. Those six years of new songs and their history behind them. You know, they're only playing two songs, or maybe three off of Operation Mindcrime. So they're spreading it out, but yeah. they're only spreading it out between the first three albums that they put out or first four or three full records. Okay. You know, with, with you know, Rage for Order, Operation Mindcrime and Empire, and then their new stuff. Cause they, they're doing nothing in between. Yeah. So. No, I mean that that was the thing that was really interesting to me was I went to see the band not being well versed in in Queensrÿche's material because I just never really listened to them when Jeff Tate was in the band. So I go and and watch this and they yeah, they're playing off the first few albums, but they were playing a lot of new songs too and the new songs really appealed to me. That was what was kind of interesting was I'm also watching you know, I'm a bit of a people watcher in that like I I you know, gauge the, the, the crowd that's there. And I'm seeing people wearing new shirts with the newer albums. Mm-hmm. And what else was kind of interesting was I'm seeing the crowd really get into the new songs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't just like, you know, they're playing 
you know, walk in the shadows and people are going, everybody's singing to every song. Yes, that's for sure. And so there were a few people in the audience that I heard, oh, it's a new song, you know. And then and then by the end of the song, they're like, that was cool. Yeah. What, what the problem with a lot of these bands and the reason why they're becoming nostalgic is because they're, they're not confident in their music. Queensryche, they, they had, they basically started from scratch. They had a history. But Jeff Tate and all the albums that they released after Empire basically shoved them down into a hole that they really had to dig out of. Yeah, they, he took over creativity in the band for sure and kind of limited what the other guys could do. Right. So they worked their asses off. When I say they, they came here, in, I, I think I saw them three times in a two-year span. They went away for a year and a half or so. And then I've, I've seen them twice in a single year on this Verdict tour, or it was back-to-back years. It was it was a whole 12 months, but it was the same tour, the Verdict tour. When it first came out in early 2019, I saw them, and then we saw them in January of this year. They are pushing their new music as best they can, and they're trying to keep it in a certain vein because they're not playing. They're, they're doing a lot of the progressive songs mm-hmm. that, that they've done. They're not doing you know the straight-ahead rockers yeah, I mean they're very the new style that they play is very progressive, mm-hmm. and it's not as strange as what they were doing with Jeff before he left the band. Well, like it wasn't even strange; it was just shitty. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to be diplomatic, but you don't um, have to be. It's our show. <laughs> but yeah, I just the direction that he was taking the band was not a positive direction because you could you could hear. There was just not that pep there. There was not that excitement. No, they, it was. They didn't believe in what they were putting out. And then when when he or when they when uh, Todd Latore came into the band, he uh, like Richie Faulkner breathed yeah. new life into him. Is a very skilled musician. He played drums on the last album. Yeah, he has changed the vibe of the band. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, Michael Wilton. Now is is the main songwriter. He has a lot never, more creativity. Yeah, now. so he's yeah. able to put stuff out there, you know. And they're giving everybody a chance. I mean, Parker Lundgren put out Parker. He wrote one of the songs entirely. Right, that but, they played that was very cool. Yeah, so I mean, they're giving everybody a chance. And Eddie Jackson's always had some little input. Yeah, because Par- Parker wasn't even part of the project that they were doing when they first joined up with Todd. They, he, he was. He was. No, they he, they didn't name it that. But he was he was part of it because he was actually- he was still involved though with Jeff Tate's camp to a degree because of his situation with now his ex wife I guess ex wife yeah so there was a little bit of hey you choose if you want to yeah. you want to be part of this or not and if you are you'll be an equal member and you'll get as much input as anybody else and he, and he chose Queens right right he chose, he chose the right wisely. answer he chose wisely <laughs> he chose the he blue chose pill. the correct answer <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So definitely, Queensrÿche is not a nostalgic by any means. I don't think so. So, but a band that I believe, and I think everyone believes, they're they're a nostalgic is Kiss. Oh, I mean, they've been in, sure. they've been a nostalgia band ever since they were united. Which ever I think, since they put the makeup back on, and that and that's what kind of sucks about it because they were not that before they put the makeup back on. You know, they were touring off the Revenge album and playing four or five songs. I mean, even on their acoustic stuff, they were playing three songs. Yeah. You know, so it's and like... And I've listened to Bruce Kulick talk about what was going on when they were doing the Carnival of Souls album. And they still kind of kept it 
Like, they didn't tell Eric and Bruce that this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And they, that way they were still, those guys were still putting all their effort into putting out a great album. Right. So, it, yeah, it does kind of suck that just to, you know, be good businessmen, they decided to break up a good thing of what they were doing. And Yeah, it was, it was I mean, obviously, you know, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley being the people that they are, were going to go where the money was at. You know, they're going to sell, they're going to be selling out arenas every single night. So yeah, you're going to go with that. They honestly tried to do a new album with Psycho Circus to get new music and to, to be relevant. It's such a weird, but you look at the production, how many people are involved on that album, et cetera. It's just such a weird situation. No, it was, I mean, it, it went back to being what it was before. You know, everybody having their own lawyers, everybody having their own managers, bringing their own producers in to do whatever they want. Peter still can't write a song. Kiss still can't fucking play the drums. So, you know. Well, you, you look at Kiss and you go from the, the first album on. Mm-hmm. And it's just four guys writing music, putting out an album. By the time that they were, you know, I, I guess four or five albums in, now they're bringing in ghost musicians, guys that are playing to be somebody else, you know, mm-hmm. stuff that's weird stuff that's going on. Psycho Circus is just the culmination of the return to that idea because you don't have musicians that are reliable. You don't have a, a band that's cohesive. You don't have the trust that's there in the product that they're putting up before. From then on, it's just now it's just a production. It's a stage show. Right. And it's not it's not even a band in the same regard. And that was what was sad because all the stuff that they did in the 80s, basically went out the window when when they got back together and it's like that was the stuff that reestablished you mm-hmm. you know it's like, but, e- but even in the 80s i mean you really look at the production and read into what the production was the stuff with bruce Kulick was probably the most cohesive that was the band that was actually were <laughs> playing on the album oh, was yeah. the band you were seeing oh for sure i there, mean there was a lot of ghost musicians even before that like with vinnie vincent's couple yeah, of albums but yeah the the the, the creatures of night that was what I was getting at was mm-hmm. that Kiss at this point was more of a stage show, you know, yeah. even even in the 80s. But then they brought Bruce into the band after Vinnie Vincent, and it at least was more stable during that whole and, time And they period. were stable because they put, they put out uh, Asylum, Hot in the Shade, Revenge. There was one more album in there uh, that I'm missing. Um, What's the one that Gene Simmons barely played on? Oh, Animalize. Animalize. But th- that the, was with that was Mark St. John, Mark St. John, right? So after Mark St. John right, so was the point where everything asylum, became more stable. Right, Asylum. Crazy, Crazy Nights. Oh, that's right. Crazy, Crazy Nights. That's and then you get Revenge. And right, then... so it was it was Asylum, Crazy Nights, Hot in the Shade, then Revenge. Those four albums. And then the Cornwall of the Soul. Those five albums, they had three guys were constant, which was, you know, Paul... Uh, Gene and Bruce, and then Eric and Eric. Yeah. So, and and the change with Eric from Eric Carter to Eric Singer wasn't a, dr- a dramatic change as far as musicality was concerned. Yeah. So it wasn't I too mean, bad, but it was also not one of those things where it was making everything dysfunctional. And so, that that's the point was once they went back to the psycho circus stuff, then no, it, it was just complete was, dysfunction. Right. The the stuff from now, well, I say now, from the the recent years, the last two albums that they released were more cohesive than they had been in a long time. Right. Because you had Eric Singer and Tommy Thayer who were genuine contributors to their product. 
Yeah, I, did, I believe Paul Stanley said that there was no outside writers. They, they they wanted no outside writers for their those last two albums. Yeah, so, so so for the first time since the first few albums, they had four guys writing music again. Exactly. It's a shame that they're not playing songs off of. I mean, they play. I think uh, Hell or Hallelujah every so often, or, or they, in the last few tours that they did, Modern Day Delilah. Those are the only two songs that they're playing from the new albums, and then. From the 80s, they're doing, I think they added Forever, but they, they took it out. They were playing, what the hell is that one song? Heaven's on Fire, you know? And then everything else is older. You know, I think they play some Creatures of Night. I mean, they're, they're still playing Psycho Circus, which is mind-boggling to me. <laughs> I mean, they were opening their show in the tour, the, the tour before this End of the Road tour. That was the opening show. Yeah. With that giant, big giant spider that was uh, their stage show. I I just don't get it. But I mean, I, back to the main point, I think mm. it's it's really, I mean, the mo- moment they decided to put the makeup back on, they became a nostalgia act, yep. and that's the the focus of what they've done, and and it's financially viable for them. It's I mean, it's really too bad that you have guys. I, I mean, we could get into a whole bunch of points. Like, I don't think that Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer should be wearing that makeup that they're wearing. That's a whole nother kiss episode. But but. <laughs> But that's indicative of the right. product they're putting out. I mean, it's it, it boils down to that they're accepting of that they're just a nostalgia act. No, for sure. I mean, it's you wouldn't you wouldn't have them up there playing other people in costume that you're like you've got the crowd trying to believe that they're Ace and Peter. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, give them give them new characters, and it's never going to happen. Obviously, no, at this yeah. point. I mean, that discussion for the last is- show. They, they, yeah, that discussion has been, uh, you know, beaten to death. Beaten to death. It's not going to change. It's still a relevant conversation. You know, <laughs> I, you know, I thought when they went when they made Eric Carr the Fox, I thought that was pretty cool. The Ankh Warrior that was kind of like, what the hell is that? It was still different. Though. It was still it wasn't, different. It, they didn't have him up there acting like Ace Freely, you know, right. playing. And it, I don't, I don't think at the, the time he even way. thought of that. Yeah. You know, but I think I think the reason why it ended up being this way was because Ace and Peter were back and forth so much that they had to have Tommy Thayer waiting in the wings. They had the illusion case, there. You know, so so those shows that Tommy played as Ace because Ace was was missing in action, or or Eric played as Peter because Peter was missing in action. They had to be those guys. Yeah. So when they realized no one noticed and no one gave a shit. All of a sudden, it's like you know what? Hell, just make them who they are, you know, or make them the the cat in the spaceman. I just, I just think you know, you you have enough respect in Bruce Kulick to not make him wear makeup, and you know, I, he has enough respect in himself. He said I he guess. wouldn't put it on there either. Exactly, but <clears throat> but Eric Car Eric Carr's there for the dollar. He's there for the paycheck. You mean Eric Singer. Oh, Eric Singer. He's there for yeah. the paycheck. Yeah, Kiss is definitely a, a nostalgic. Now, now. Talking about those bands that consistently tour and have not released any new music, and and I, I would even put this, Kiss has at least released new music, but the guys that haven't released any mu- new music, bands like Motley Crue. Well, they released that one song, the, really? the one for the movie. Like a Virgin? No, not that. <laughs> that song sucked. That was a cover. <laughs> I know. I, I'm talking about the, the, the Dirt, like, the song yeah, the, the Dirt. Yeah, it was okay. But I mean, it was made for the movie. It was made for the movie. It was one one new song. It was not an album. Yeah. It's not, let's go into the studio and bang it out so we could tour on it. So Motley Crue, they're They're nostalgic. And even then, there was supposedly no intention of touring 
on that song or on any new music. Yeah. They're kind of in between because when they finished in 2015, they were coming off of no new music. You know, they were just touring on the fact that they were Molly Crew. Yeah. Well, speaking of nostalgia, remember when you could understand what Vince Neil said? <laughs> <laughs> that video will live in infamy. <clears throat> so Molly Crew, Twisted Sister hung it up. They they specifically knew that they were a nostalgia act and they didn't change. Yeah, and, and they, they had no care. problem with it. They, I mean, they were touring so that we could all relive. I mean, they the... had one new song, which was that 30 song that yeah. came, you know, and they, they knew right then and there. I mean, they weren't going to be doing new music. Yeah. Um, you know, Rat, L.A. Guns, Poison. They have done at several tours with no new music, and yeah. it's a great show. Definitely a nostalgia band. There's, no, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, with going to see a band because they're nostalgia. No, not at all. I mean, people um, do it all the time for the '50s acts, you know, in the '60s acts. I mean, all those, you know, anytime you go see an Elvis cover. Or, well, yeah. You know. I mean, Boston Foreigner. I mean, they haven't done any new music, even though Foreigner is a great show. Anybody who went to see Boston for you know for a while, there was nothing there. Sticks, they've put out new music. Yeah, but th- some of those bands, like you're so, when when a band doesn't put out new music, and they they've got a different singer or you know some of these major parts of the band, mm-hmm. to me that's a nostalgia act in and of itself because it's like these guys up there singing songs that you don't even know who they are. Right. Right. So to me that when you're up there like Foreigner. Is automatically a nostalgia act. Yes, to me, yeah, for sure. Again, going back to you know the crews, the the the, the Twisted Sisters, the LA Guns, and all those bands, they're they're not putting out anything new. Yeah, and they're they're just touring off their name, off their legacy. So, two big bands left that we can talk about, and I'm going to put them both in the same exact category and both for the same exact reasons: Iron Maiden and Metallica, two of the biggest bands in the world today. And I had this discussion with, with my best friend, Matt, the other day. He swears that they are a nostalgia act. And I will defend to the death that they are not. And my biggest reason is because they're putting out relevant music and they're touring on relevant music. And not only touring, but they're playing five to six to seven songs off that new album when that album comes out. But, I mean, keep in mind, Iron Maiden does a nostalgia tour and then follows it up with an album tour. Yes, that is true. So they're they're kind of like a 50-50. You know, they are. You go see a Legacy tour like we did with Legacy of the Beast, this mm-hmm. last one, and it's all old songs. Yes, technically. But, I mean, they didn't, well, because, they didn't play anything off of Book of Souls. No, they didn't play anything off of Book of Souls. Which is the new album. Which is the latest album, right. But they still did play stuff from the new era. Of, they didn't play anything from Final Frontier. No. They, they didn't play anything from Book of Souls. Those are the only um, two albums they didn't play anything off of. Yeah, they did one song off of, uh, what's it called? Matter of, Matter of, Life, of Life and Death. Mm-hmm. But so, the the point was, but those are those are still right. all, it, older songs. So that is that, that is a nostalgia tour, but they've established that ever since they reunited. They've established they were going to do album tour. Mm-hmm. Nostalgia tour, which I think tour. I think is genius because it, is genius. it, it feeds two branches of the of the the fan base. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the guys that only care about going to see old stuff. Because even when we were there, I mean, there was a few songs where people sat down because they're yeah, like, I, I don't sat, know this. Song. I sat I sat down. To, I wasn't into the song. Yeah, but, I don't remember you sitting down. No, I didn't sit down. But, but yeah, it, it was just I was bored with the song, and that was the um, for the greater good of God. 
Yeah, but that's that's the only one. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, the rest of the show you were. You oh, were the rest of the show was awesome. But even then, I, I was I was into the whole show. But there were a few people that just were like, "I don't know this song. It's not from 1982." Then you go, you see the 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 what's the the Book of Souls tour? Yeah, or or just any of the 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 album tours, mm-hmm. and and they've got as many people there. Now, and and when I saw the Book of Souls tour, there are people that go to the to the album tour show that are expecting to have 90% of old stuff. And when Iron Maiden is sitting there playing six, seven songs off the new album, they're kind of like, what the hell? But at least with Book of Souls, those six or seven songs were damn good. Yeah. You know, unlike, like, they did not do the uh, Matter of Life and Death tour in the United States playing the whole album like they did in Europe. And to me, in the, it, it, that would have fallen like a like a lead, you know, a lead balloon down to the bottom if they would have done that in the States. I mean, it was... It would have not gone over well because, as much as you know, a lot of people are saying that that's a good album. Overall, the American way that that people think about that album, it would have it would have flopped. They were already in between bad albums, like as you see, you know, they were Dance of Death. People were still not totally into the whole thing. I mean, Brave New World was good. Dance of Death, people were not into it. I was. I liked it. But the but Dance of Death was a pretty solid album, honestly. It was, but in the in the States, for whatever reason, that album didn't do well and then to go into I think it had to do with the album cover people saw it. <laughs> that revolted. too. <laughs> you know, but their then, lunch revolted. The matter of life and death comes out and it's just like, uh, you know, it it wasn't it was something that takes a lot of listens to, to, to accept and get. I would say the the American crowd that was looking for Aces High and Number of the Beast and Run to the Hills wasn't going to get that. But is I mean, but not just speaking about the American crowd. I mean, they they're huge all over the oh, world, the, and they did that tour elsewhere, and it yeah. was successful. Yeah. You know, so they they I mean, they're bigger than they ever have been all over the world. And what's cool about the fact that they they are big because of Dance of Death, they are big because of Matter Life and Death, they are big because of Final Frontier. Those albums, they're big on those albums because they're getting younger fans. Mm-hmm. Okay, so around the world, they are nowhere near a nostalgia act. They are people going to the, the to the legacy shows, you know, not just the legacy tour, but the the old, you know, the the, the somewhere back in time tour, you know, and the Made in England tour that they did in between. The younger crowds are going to see those shows because they're like, hey. What would have been, you know, it would have been cool to see those old shows. So now they're getting a chance to see what it was like yeah. during the Power Slave tour, what it was like during the, the the Seventh Sun tour. So the younger crowds are into it because they're hey, kind of anomaly in that way, is right? Because you've got young people going to see the show for old songs, exactly. But it it's not just a bunch of old people that grew up with the albums. Right. It's, it's a yeah. good, I mean, it's a good mix. It is not, it is not one of those. Oh words. yeah. We saw people, we saw kids there. We yeah. remember they were, we were in, we were in line to get a to picture Derek, signed by Derek Riggs. Yeah. And you, you see a three year old kid excited about, or not three. I'm not good at judging. No, it was, it was probably, they were probably seven, eight, yeah. nine years old, somewhere yeah. in there. Little girl excited mm-hmm. about getting Derek Riggs art signed. Yeah. No, it, it, it's amazing how they've transcended that. Mm-hmm. You know, my debate that I had on the phone with Matt extended between Iron Maiden and Metallica. And he, you know, he swore that they were nostalgia acts. And I believe wholeheartedly that Iron Maiden is not. Although, you know, it's almost like I'm, I'm proving myself wrong by saying the Legacy of the Beast Tour 
is a nostalgia show. But but I think but what still, ends up happening is, like I said, with the young people going to see them, that's not nostalgia. No. That's a new experience for exactly, them. Exactly, right. So it's transcended nostalgia. Definitely. So Metallica... Nostalgia Act. No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm going to defend it that they're not because even though the last album before this one was eight years ago, so more than eight years now, it's, it's uh, 12 years ago, Death Magnetic, they toured for three years on that, and then <clears throat> they went and made a movie, and they went and made a video game, and they did all these different things, and that's the reason why it took eight years. They toured. Like every other year. But do you think their crowd has grown since, I don't know, saying anger? It's it's a different crowd. It's, it, they are young. They're, they're not as many young kids as an Iron Maiden show, but there are still young kids in the show. That So I would say, so let's say if it's a 50-50 at an Iron Maiden gig between young and old, it's probably 70-30 at a Metallica show between 70 old people. Yeah. But... Death Magnetic, you know, so then they release um, Hardwired. And they're, they're I mean, to, for them to be able to to tour in the United States, do a stadium tour, you're not a nostalgia act, in my opinion. I mean, they're not... I don't know. I mean, you, you got the Black Album selling the same amount, like, pretty much every year, right? You mm-hmm. got, I mean, you got older albums still having that same effect. I think that... I'm not saying that they're a nostalgia act, to be honest. I I think it's it's fifty fifty, if not maybe more leaning towards the nostalgia act, because I, I they have so many relevant eras of the band. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the thrash guys who there's still people going like I'm I'm gonna go see them because I know they're gonna play Master Puppets. You know, right? And but they don't give a shit about anything else. And that's that the way. Playing. And that's the way Matt posed it. Are yeah. you going to see them because of Master of Puppets? Or are you going to see them because of Hardwired? Yeah. And well, I, I knew I knew full well going in that I was gonna hear at least six songs from Hardwired. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't have a problem with that. But Metallica is such a big band for a number of reasons. But Metallica is just one of those bands that I. I remember anybody knew who they were. I mean, and it, when I was in high school, guys' girlfriends knew who they were because they they were just such an accessible band. When did you get into Metallica? School. Middle school. So you're talking about the load era. So they were already considered sellouts. They were already considered oh, yeah. grunge and, and alternative. Okay. But yet you went back and you listened to And Justice for All and Master Puppets and Ride the Lightning and Kill Em All. Even though what was relevant to you was Load and Ain't My Bitch. Well, those albums had not come out yet. Okay, so you were so you were before so right before Load. Well, no, I guess they had. 1990, 1996. Yeah, they they had they had come out, but the first album that I heard was Injustice for All. I had not even heard anything from the the grunge pop era, and so. It's difficult. The first the first show I went to see them was during the the Reload, you know, right. tour. Okay, so 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 and and in, in that tour they were playing a lot of songs, you know, like four or five songs from that from that album mm-hmm. or from that group of albums, and still playing two and a half hours in playing all old songs or what you would consider old songs. Mind you, at at that point they're only twelve years into their career, thirteen yeah. years into their career. You know, well, maybe 15 if it's 1997. So it's 
a, a long career, but it's still, you're only talking about six, seven, six albums. I think what makes it difficult for Metallica, though, is because Hardwired was, was a universally acclaimed good album. Mm-hmm. It, to me, it has a few low points, but overall, it's a, it's a great album. Atlas Rise is, I mean, it's it stuck in my head. I can't yeah. forget that song. The the one before that, Death Magnetic, was not as memorable of an album. You listen to it and you go, this is this is good but then after it, the songs don't stick in your head the same way. Right. And then obviously Injustice, not I'm sorry. Saint Anger. Saint Anger That's was, stuck in your head. <laughs> for all the wrong reasons. For all the wrong reasons. <laughs> that Frantic song gets stuck in your head. I like Frantic. It's a it's a cool chorus. Cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just not produced well. Um so what what's what's difficult about that is it took such a long period of time for them to reestablish to the point that they have memorable songs. Mm-hmm. You have the gap between Fuel, which was probably the last one before that, that I would say a lot of people just know that song, right. all the way to Hardwired, where, where there was this big gap in between. So... Up until that point, I think they were probably a nostalgia act, but I think this album kind of turned that around. Right. Because there's a lot of people that, that do like those songs enough to go, I want to go see them play Atlas Rise. All right, so, so let's, let's look at it this way. I'll, 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 give it, I'll give it this much. When they toured for St. Anger, okay? Nobody went to see them play St. Anger. They, no, and the funny, they didn't play St. Anger. Well, they played St. Anger and they played Frantic and they alternated. Sometimes they played both songs. Yeah. When I went to see them, so I saw them in the, the stadium tour in the summer of 2003. I don't think they had released St. Anger yet. And they were they were previewing, which is what they always did. They were previewing songs. So going yeah, they always two, put out a few demo type right. versions so of in, songs. Going in 2003, you were going based on the fact that they had released the last studio album was... Reload, yeah, and then you know they had done the the garage album and the garage ink. Well, there was so much anticipation right. for for San Anger. It had been such a long time; nobody expected so, them to release what they released. Right. It was the return of Metallica. Yeah. Then when San Anger came out and they did the actual uh, arena tour in the United States, and they toured like crazy for that. Um, they played Frantic, they played San Anger, and they alternated um, with like Dirty Window um, and. I don't. I I don't recall them playing some um, some kind Didn't of. Did they monster. play Sweet Amber at some point? I, yeah. They, so between all D- Dirty Window and Sweet Amber and stuff like that, and they they also played. Um, they tried to play that one slow song that they had um, that was really intense. Uh, th- that I think is the second to last song in the album, which is a really good song, but it doesn't come across well live. They played it at my show when I went in uh, and I saw them in in uh, Sunrise, Florida. To me, that was they were trying to push the envelope and get back into relevance mm-hmm. because they had basically been a nostalgia band. Yeah. Um, but then, as Death Magnetic came out, you know, we're talking that was only a four-year gap or, or five, actually a five-year gap. They pushed the crap out of that album. They were playing four or five songs from that, and they were really pushing the yeah. envelope with that. So they toured hard and heavy to become a relevant band again, which they did. Yeah. You know, and then for whatever reason, they were trying to stay relevant by putting out music, touring for two, three years, putting out the movie. Then they then they went on a nostalgia tour because of the movie 
and they started playing stuff from every album, two, three songs, because they were trying to do this nostalgia yeah. tour, there, an anniversary tour. So they forced themselves almost into a nostalgia type thing. But those old albums were so big and so popular that they've transcended need to put out any albums. They don't need they to. They don't have to. And still be relevant. People are going to go see them. Right. It's like the Rolling Stones. Who who really cares if they put out new albums? They go people go see them because they're but, but they're amazed that you know zombies exist. <laughs> um, but but it is a nostalgia. But, act but they're at that a point. nostalgia act at that point. But I think Hardwired is a strong enough album that there are new fans that go, okay, this is this is cool. I want to go see that. Mm-hmm. So I think to me, I'm going to lean more towards nostalgia act, but. There is a lot of merit in what they've just put out. Yeah, I, mean, I get what you're saying. I mean, when I when I went to Arkansas to see them, they played five songs off of Hardwired. In my eyes, they're pushing a new album. They're trying to be relevant, and it, and to me, they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't play anything off of uh, Death Magnetic, which was interesting, and they also didn't play anything off of Saint Anger. Um, so to me, if you're trying to be relevant. Or, or you should at least sneak in a song or two from from those ones that are more recent. I think what what'll be more interesting is to see whenever they put out this next album that they're going to release, how much of those previous albums that they'll continue to play. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think th- I think they'll continue to play songs off of Hardwired. You know, several. N- maybe, I would say maybe at least Moth into Flame or or, yeah. or you know, and Atlas Rise. Well, although they dumped Atlas Rise on this most recent tour that they were doing. But you know they'll mix things up. But they were they had added a couple more songs because of it. Yeah. So I think they'll continue, but I think they'll probably continue to leave off those those previous two albums because they're just not as strong. I think it, Death Magnetic was so big because it was so much better yeah, than Saint Anger, but it's still not formula. a great album. Right. I mean, I I, I like it, but mm-hmm. there it, it's. Um, it's one of those things where it's a good album. It's, it's a not good, a great it's, album. It's right. It's not Master Puppets, you know. And even the new metalheads, they're going. The young kids are going to shows because they know they're going to play Master Puppets, but mm-hmm. they're still. It's the first time. Yeah. And they're playing. The, the, the cool thing about Metallica is they're playing the music like it's your first time. Mm-hmm. They're not phoning it in ever. Yeah. I've never seen them. But phone uh, it but in. if I go see a Metallica show and they play Unforgiven, I'm like, that's cool. If they play Unforgiven two or three, I'm like, eh. well, you know what? If you get Unforgiven two, that'd be probably a rare show, I'm, and I'll be really excited when they do Unforgiven. Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've talked about several bands that you know are they legacy? You know, legacy, several legacy bands are they nostalgia or are they not? So now our big four of the week is to choose. Which are the best albums of all these legacy, nostalgia, relevant bands? And I'm going to let you start off and give your four records that you think are the big four of all these bands that we've listened to or talked about. What do you think? I think I'm going to let you start you this me, week. I, you know what? I'll start. That's I fine. Th- I'm th- good th- with that. Yeah. I think, I think I'm right. going to because I'm still making a number three and four swap decision. That's cool. I'm good with that. So big four... Uh, what are we calling this? The big four legacy bands, best albums, their most recent period. You know, we'll we'll, we'll shrink the title down. When we, <laughs> we this that's a that's a that's a we mouthful got, we, right there. Right, we got to figure something out. But all right, so best albums of the 2010s. 
of the legacy from bands. legacy bands. Okay, something close to that. <laughs> we'll further revise that by right. the time it gets on Instagram. Right. So my number four album is going to be Dark Roots of the Earth from Testament. I love that album. I love that album more than Brotherhood of Snake. Really? I, yeah, I'm you, a reverse. But. Yeah, you're a reverse. You don't like. I liked it a lot. I I love the 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 fact that it's it's semi it's thrash, but it's semi. Death melodic elements in there. A lot, yeah. of, a lot of melodic death metal in there. It, to me, I, I, I can't get past the fourth song because I keep hitting <laughs> repeat. You know, one, two, three, and four. I just keep hitting repeat. But if you get the bonus, if you get the CD with the bonus tracks on it, it has some really cool covers with, you know, a cool Scorpions cover, a cool Queen cover, and an excellent, excellent Iron Maiden cover of Power Slave. So um, that album is really cool. My number three record out of that, I marked the wrong one, is going to (laughs) be Book of Souls from Iron Maiden. Okay. That album is awesome. It's a double album. It's 90 minutes long, and they only got 12 songs on it. That Empire of the Clouds, 20, I think it's an 18-minute or 20-minute song. Yeah, it's long. It's a cool song, though. It's a cool song, but, I mean, it, it was still a cool album without that song. Okay, so... I really like the way the album starts off with... If Eternity Should Fail. If Eternity Should Fail. Thank you. Between that and Speed of Light, really good song. I mean, the song Book of Souls is pretty cool, but they're all long songs. Um, Tears of a Clown, the song about Robin Williams, very good song. The Black, you know, the Red and the Black. I mean, they have some really, really cool songs on there. And they promoted the crap out of those songs on the tour. I mean, they played them and played them. And, they, and they're all great songs. So that's my number three album from from these legacy bands in the 2010s number two judas priest firepower another excellent album if you want to it's hard to say return to form because redeemer souls is a pretty good album but this was so much better i mean it's like going from point of entry to screaming for vengeance yeah you know it was it was like that although i wouldn't put i would still think redeemer souls better than point of entry i think the song redeemer of souls is probably better than anything on firepower but do you think Redeemer of Souls is better than the anything song? Of, the song, but I think everything else on Redeemer of Souls is weaker than anything else on Firepower. You think Dragonaut's weaker? I, I think Redeemer of Souls is probably the best new song. But you think that you think Dragonaut is weaker than anything on Firepower? I think so. Really? Yeah. I, okay. I no, I like Dragonaut, and I like uh, well, there the was another Dragonaut Valhalla. That, that one's a cool song, mm-hmm. but I think Firepower is such a. And I maybe I'm overstepping what I'm saying, saying weaker than anything on Firepower. But I mean the the whole of Firepower right, I, is stronger. Oh yeah, than the what whole. they put together. Definitely, yeah. definitely as a whole, it's much mm-hmm. better. Yeah. All right, so my number one, uh, I'm sure you you know you know what it is. It's hardwired to self destruct <laughs> yeah, from Metallica. Shocked. <laughs> <laughs> that I mean I I love that album. The, to me the the there's. Two weak songs on the album, um, and and unfortunately, one of the weak songs that's on the album is the tribute to Lemmy, uh, "Murder One." I just I'm not into that song. I actually think that if they would have put "Lords of Summer" on this album as opposed to being on the the deluxe edition, it would have made it the album an even better album. But they didn't. They left it off and they put it on the deluxe. That's fine. I include it with my when I listen to it. It's a good. I mean, the first six songs. Are amazing to me you know i love all those songs maybe not so much the the fifth song i can't remember what it is but 
hardwired, you know, to put together a song like that in, in basically five minutes because they say, oh, we need a short song. We need a short song. And they ended up writing the shortest song, I think, of their career at that point. I don't think there's anything shorter. They have other three-minute songs, but this is the shortest three-minute song they have. Then, you know, Atlas Rise. I mean, I've compared Atlas Rise to Disposable Heroes in terms of intensity. It's just It just sounds different. And that's what people... It's do. a good song. It's it it really song. is a good song. I mean, if you, if you gave up on Metallica years ago, like, give that one a try at least. Cause oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's such a good song. And Moth Into Flame is a good song. The only one that I would that I would say on that first one is Dream No More. Um, but that's a that's part of the Cthulhu series. So it, it it's still a good song, just not my song. And I love Halo on Fire. That's... You know, going back to the tape, the types of battles like Fade to Black and Welcome Home, Halo on Fires is is right up there. It's not the best. I mean, it's above the the one that came on Death Magnetic, um, but it's below one and Welcome Home and Fade. It's good. And then Side Two was just a steady chunk of songs. You know, they were they were not the best songs, or not Side Two, but Disc Two. Excuse me. Those songs were they were not the greatest songs, but they were good. So as a whole, I love that album. So that, that's my number one album for the Legacy Band's 2010s releases, The Relevancy. <laughs> gotcha. So what do you got? Well, I'm going to pick up right where you left off, and an odd choice for me, because I defiantly sometimes try not to pick them, Metallica Hardwired is number four. It's just It's such a strong album. If I'm really thinking about all these bands and who put out the best albums of the of these releases i mean it's hard to deny that that should that should be on the list Mm -hmm. it's it's the all the songs you mentioned they're just very strong it's well put together it's well produced it's the best produced of the new era of their music it's the the by far best sounding album since reload oh yeah and better songs than Reload, oh, by far, for by sure. a thousand percent. Everyone was ragging on Greg Fiddleman because they didn't like what he did on the, on uh, Death Magnetic, but I don't think what he did on Death Magnetic was his fault. No, I mean... He, he was the engineer slash producer. I mean, they didn't give him any production credits. He was the engineer, but um, the production of it, I mean, I, I don't think he had as much say in the, in the production as he did on Hardwired, and, that's, yeah. and he put out, I mean, that's an amazing sounding album. I mean, the best bass sounding album since the 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 load and reload since uh, Injustice for All. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so number three, Iron Maiden, Book of Souls. It's I mean, from the minute it starts to to the when it ends, I don't care what you say. Empire of the Clouds is awesome, um, but the, the there's songs written by Bruce exclusively by Bruce on here that are fantastic, mm-hmm. and and there's just there's so much to enjoy. Because you have a kind of a mix of what they were doing in the last few albums, where there these are more storytelling songs mm-hmm, than yeah. than in the previous era of the band. You know, you have kind of like an Irish flair on some of these songs, and there's there's that, but there's the hooks. Yeah, they, this one album had a lot of hooks. It did, and that's what that's why I like this so much better than than say Matter of Life and Death. Yeah, you know. So you got you got a mix of of the of the different eras of the band kind mm-hmm. of thrown in here, and Bruce's strong her songwriting is just so strong. I oh, mean, yeah. I'm I, I I loved what he did with his solo career, mm-hmm. uh, and it sh- 
the songs that he put on here shine. I mean, if Eternity should fail, I cannot wait to hear his version oh, yeah, of the song version, right. when he releases it. And, and the other amazing fact about this album is to, he did it with a lump in his throat. Mm-hmm. Cancer, I believe, right? Yes, he had he had a throat cancer. Yeah. Number two, The Verdict by Queensryche. Ooh, I like that. So this is the newest album by the band. I adore the album. I'm so glad I went to go see the show and heard these songs because they're really strong. And if you're a big fan of power metal, you'll love it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, this is not the same band that, that, that played with Jeff Tate. This is not the same band that puts Silent Lucidity out. No. This is this is this is a new era for the band. Some really cool stuff. If if you've if you have any inclination towards dream theater, and you know more power metal esque, more um, experimental stuff, then then you'd be surprised what the the, the band is capable of. Because mm-hmm. this is this is totally different than what you would have heard the albums, but it's still elements there that keep it cohesive with what the band has always been right for sure so it's just it's a new era for the band and i'm happy to hear it excellent number one megadeth dystopia Ooh, i you know i was i had them as my honorable mention <laughs> <laughs> what a return and even beyond a return yeah for, no, that's, for, that that is a great album it really is you had the last album yeah you, you're reaching a low point with the previous lineup which was you know with chris broderick and and sean drover Mm -hmm. and it they just needed a refreshment in this band you bring on chris adler and kiko larrero from angra it's just the same kind of effect as what happened with judas priest breathing way new life into it just yeah and and restoring the strength in you know, and I don't know what it was because you know it's not like Sean and, and Chris were in there for like twenty years and it got stale. It's just one of those things where Dave just goes through his periods where t- things just don't seem to to con- the, the vibe doesn't continue. It doesn't. It's not the same. I think he has a kind of a similar thing that going on that Chuck had when he was writing music with people. He needs to be surrounded by people that fuel what's going on with him artistically at the mm-hmm. time. And unfortunately that doesn't, it's not very conducive to a, a consistent band. And honestly, um, Megadeth really should be just Dave and whoever, but you, you know, know, what's funny about it is it, 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 I've heard Sean and Chris's new project mm-hmm. and it's not, it, it's metal. It's hard. I mean, yeah. it's, it's close to being almost metal core. Yeah. You know, so it's not like, they they weren't capable and and they weren't not bringing solid ideas, but it just I guess it just wasn't conducive I, to what he was putting out at the time. And I'm not saying that Super Collider wouldn't have happened no matter what who he was around with surrounded by. But I think at that point, once Super Collider happened, that was the end of that era of the band, and it needed change. Well, and I think a lot of it had to do because I I don't think Sean and Chris wanted to do that kind of music. Yeah. And, and that's never good for any band right? to be putting out something you don't believe in. But I think, had they stayed together, they wouldn't have come, they wouldn't have done Dystopia, but Dystopia is the type of album they would have wanted to do. Kind of weird. I guess know? so. I, I think Dystopia is more melodic than the product that they're putting out now. That's true. So, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, 
I, I think Dystopia is something they would have preferred to do over over Super Collider. Prefer, yeah. Preference. Oh, for sure. You know. I think anybody would probably. <laughs> <laughs> but Dystopia is amazing. That being album. said, I like a few songs on Super Collider. Oh, it's, no. It's, it's not a horrible album. The, the, to me, the biggest problem is the lyrics on, on Super he, Collider. He was trying to make it more accessible. Yeah. But he went back to being his sarcastic, to a degree, very technical wording, you know, and, and just being, I guess, angry at the world. I mean, Super Collider wasn't like an angry at the world type of record. Megadeth is definitely better when Dave is angry. angry. Yes, for sure. Angry again, you know. <laughs> so, great. That's a pretty awesome group of albums. I mean, obviously, we share two of the albums, but I mean, I, I wouldn't go wrong with Queensryche or Megadeth being great records. Well, that's it for our big four this week, and that's it for Debating Metal. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you consume your metal podcasts. If you enjoyed our show and agreed with our opinions or just want to rip us a new one, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can email us at debatingmetal at gmail.com. On behalf of Kenneth Dean, I'm Chris Kay. We'll see you next week. See ya.